Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Chris and I are coming at you from Valencia, California. Our normal friendly confines of Shoulder to Shoulder Studios are currently off limits at the moment as Christian is enjoying his birthday vacation in Oaxaca. Happy birthday, bro. Happiest of birthdays, brother. So we'll start off by wishing him a happy birthday. Hopefully he's got a mezcal in one hand and is having a a lovely time down there and is celebrating our playoff victory versus the Galaxy. So real quick, we want to run through our victory in the greatest match we have played so far and preview quickly what is upcoming on Tuesday night at the bank versus the Seattle Sounders. So Chris, man, what a game. That was great. And hey, I got to say, thank you very much for driving out here. I I appreciate it. Uh, and episode 45, bro, five away from uh, yeah, half century mark, dude. bro. Seems like uh, just yesterday I was uh, afraid and on that couch for the first time at Shoulder to Shoulder Studios telling the story of Mandy and I, and here we are, playoff champions versus the Galaxy. Yo, it was great. I mean, I didn't <clears throat> I didn't get to uh, go to the game, but I got to see it from home, and uh, it was it was uh, definitely uh, definitely one of the games where you're just emotional about it the whole game. I'm usually not someone that gets highs and lows of games, especially if you get goals early, you know, because there's still X amount of minutes that have to be played. Like when we had the game against the Galaxy, we scored in like the 15th minute. It's like I'm usually not the type of person to like be jumping out of my seat and be like, yes, but this game for sure, bro, I was 100% the emotions were flying. I was a wreck going into it. I think I probably got two or three hours of sleep the night before i mean i was i think it even took like a solid day after the match for it even to settle in like what had just happened it was so hot at the bank the tailgate was really subdued hardly anyone showed up to the tailgate it was it was definitely way less than than our normal game i mean obviously a lot of that had to do with it being a midweek game mls get it together playoffs on weekends (laughs) but um there was a, uh, I saw a um, a tweet from um, Field Yates, who is a NFL analyst, and he said that today is Sunday, being the day, today was the only day of the year 2019 that we would have football, baseball, basketball, and hockey all on the same day. And it's like, and if just imagine if we would have been able to have MLS on that day, then it's like, man, we would have really been able to get a bunch of... It just seems like it's a sports lover's dream to be able to watch all the games in one day and bounce around and have something going on. And I just, I feel like it just takes away from the atmosphere of the game to not have the big tailgate that leads into it, to not have all the pomp and circumstance you get on a weekend game. I mean, I know the bank eventually was filled to the brim, but you know, you looked early on in the game, first 10 or 15 minutes, there were a lot of empty seats. People were still filing in. You know, some people miss that amazing TIFO that was going on. There was just some stuff there that I think it just, I just don't get it why we're doing this midweek. It just, it still doesn't make sense to me, but. Like, you know, I think that there's, um, there is the issue with uh, the Saturday games uh, because of the Coliseum. And I do think that with NFL and the Rams on Sunday, there was also that potential issue. Um, even though the Rams played today in London, but um, it's just there's all those things that you have to consider. And so I think that also with those, 
I mean, maybe once the Rams move, it'll be more so like a Sunday situation, depending on the teams. But I just I think, think, look, I mean, the MLS playoffs take three weeks. It's three weeks out of the year where you're asking the NFL to just have these stadiums be set aside, you know? Yeah, but you also don't know which teams that's going to be. Whereas right, but the NFL schedule comes so out. So how many how many MLS teams are impacted by an NFL game? It can't be more than five mm-hmm. or six of them, really. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I I mean, so obviously Seattle, Atlanta, LAFC, and it's not because we share a stadium, but we share parking lots. Right. And yeah. and so that's, um, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's maybe something to look into as to the reason why, but. Like I said, it's if you ima- could you imagine having a Rams game or a USC game and an LAFC game? There'd be no, I mean, there'd be nowhere to park for sure, you know, because I know lot six where I park is always a tailgating lot, and that's filled all the way down, like past the bank on the corner of MLK and Fig. You know, yeah. it's- I think Christian had a good idea with Friday night games. I mean, there's nothing going on at any of those events on a Friday night. I get it. That's still a weekday, but I mean, it, at it's least, still better than at least people could go off a little bit, right? You know, leave a little early and stuff like that. There. Yeah. Well, I have to say, hats off to you, sir. You were absolutely 100 percent correct in your starting lineup predictions. All of my guesses for the starting lineup were completely wrong. Uh, I had Cisniega in goal. Did not happen. Uh, you know, I had Palacios and El Munir out on the wings. Did not happen. You had Miller, Beta, and Harvey and were 100% in your prediction there. So applaud you, sir. You nailed it. I, you know what? I just I think that we've gone with Beta, Shore, and Harvey for the majority of the year. And I think that they do have a certain level of playoff experience and leadership for the club. Uh, and I just I felt like that was just... Bob wanted consistency, even though our consistent efforts against the Galaxy have not always given us the result we wanted. I still think that Bob trusts his team. Yeah, we both made good points in that regard. And ultimately, you know, Bob went with who he trusted. And, you know, ultimately that did rear its ugly head a little bit with regards to, you know, Betashore and that bizarre back pass that that then hits Blackman and, and falls right to Zlatan. And, you know, I have to say, obviously, we came out on top with five goals to their three, but all three of their goals, in in my opinion, came off of clear mistakes from LAFC players. I don't think we gave up an honest, you know, from the run of play goal in the whole game. Because in my opinion, that very first goal, you see, you know, a pass coming forward that takes a deflection, and then you have the 50-50 ball that lands between Blackman and Zlatan. And, you know, let's be honest, Zlatan's going to win that ball the majority of the time. And of right. course he does. And then he goes to pass to Pavon, and uh, you know the ball does take a little bit of a deflection. Blackman was able to get a foot on it, but of course it goes right to Pavon in a perfect spot for him to slot that goal forward. The second goal was bizarre. I have no idea why Beta is attempting to do a back pass to the keeper in the air, shoulder height past your center back with Zlatan advancing on goal. None of that made any sense to me whatsoever. I can't recall ever seeing something like that. I mean, it could have just been a matter of positional awareness. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't think Beta thought Blackman was going to go for the ball at all. I think he's trying to get it to Miller. Blackman at that point, or Beta, somebody's got to communicate, and there wasn't a communication that happened there for sure. Um, You know, and then the ball, 
even the 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 shot from Zlatan, I mean, I thought for sure he was going to save it, and it sort of ricochets right off of Miller's right in the five hole, right in the five hole. Um, you know, and even before that, we had that deflected ball that went off the post that almost went in. That was um, in the first half, though. Yeah, yeah, like eight minutes in. Right, um, and that you know that was I think a wake up call because I feel like LAFC had started off very slow, and I think that it was after. Uh, you know, this turn of events where the ball gets deflected and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, at this point, LAFC starts to open up and they start to move downfield and, and you start to see more of an attacking force from them. And I really do feel like that was like the turning point of when LAFC started to turn it on. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's a big statement about last year versus this year, right? Last year, the ball hits Zimmerman in the face and goes in the back of the net. You know, this year, the deflection ricochets off the post. Like, we just, that little bit of luck was on our side in this game, um, you know, at least in that one moment. And and to me, that was kind of a sign of things to come. Now, I would say for about the first 20 minutes of the game or so, we did not have the lion's share of possession. And that ended up becoming a trend throughout the rest of the game. Uh, Galaxy actually had us in possession, ultimately 58 to 42 by the time the game was over. We did not play a typical high pressing style that you normally see from us. Seemed like we sort of retreated a little bit more into a midfield block. We really attempted to try and take away those long balls that the Galaxy had been using throughout the course of the first five matchups. Um, and it really seemed to be tactically effective. I know Christian certainly called that out to us that he was really pleased a few minutes into the game when he saw how well we were doing it at keeping that midfield locked down. Um, there was definitely a lot of opportunities for both teams. I mean, this could have been an eight to five game instead of a five to three game. Uh, Rossi had a couple shots that could have gone in. He missed. Uh, Raito had uh, that clear chance oh when gosh, he had a breakaway so early that could have gone in. Um, there was that one play where, you know, there was a couple beautiful passes from Vela to win that just landed right in front of Rossi. And he had that chance to, to put the game away early. And, and it was, it was an action packed game. I mean, both offenses were absolutely flying, but I think tactically that idea to focus a little bit more on clogging up the midfield and a little less on the aggressive press we typically tend to see, um, was pretty effective. Although I don't really think Bob changed his philosophy throughout the course of the game. But we definitely saw a little bit of a different approach to how we pressed more in the midfield and less up front. You know what I? <clears throat> I do think that there was a lot of back and forth. You know, I mean, because we've already we've we've made a point to express how the Galaxy's backline is is weak, and this was going to be a heavy hitting offensive game. And I think because of that, you also saw a lot of. Um, missed opportunities of passes and errant balls and things like that. It was a little bit sloppy, you know, a little bit sloppier than I think that we normally would play. But I think that was also because we were feeling the the pressure of of the Galaxy trying to constantly to score, and I think that was evident. Where we're up to nothing, and then immediately we give up a goal, and then the, then we have halftime, and then they bring it back level two to two. And I think that that's that. A lot of our strategy was to try and control the ball, and I don't, I don't know if we did it as well as we would have liked. And like you said, the the possession ratio. Yeah, I don't think that was intentional. I don't think we went into the game saying we're going to yield possession and counterattack. I mean, I think that was a statement to 
you know, some of it might have just been the galaxy's inability to get through us. So they kept having to retreat and pass around and retreat and pass around. And so they ended up with a little bit more possession, um, you know, and, and passing accuracy. They outpassed us 83 to 81, which is nearly identical. But, you know, they still led in a lot of those statistical categories in which we normally dominate teams. Yeah. You know, we've seen games in which we have 70, 80 percent possession in which we outpass teams by hundreds of passes. Um, you know, so so there was definitely some statistical anomalies to this game. But, you know, ultimately, in the end, a couple wonder goals from Vela, you know, a late brace from Dio who came on as the oh, super, super sub dude. Oh, oh, put the game gosh. away. And that's and that was that was what we talked about, too. You know, having Dio come in and play in the role that he has exceeded all expectations on. You know, I like we had talked about a handful of episodes ago how in the matches that Dio has played, he's a 2010 guy. And he also has only played a handful of minutes, you know, and like the 18 or in like it was like the year and a half that we've had him, you know, it was like he had 20 goals and 10 assists. But and it's the number of minutes that he's played are, are so small. He's amazing. And I think really, you know, from the 60th minute on or the 50th minute on is when Bob really, really outcoached Scolado. Um, we knew what the Galaxy's one major substitution was going to be. We knew Alessandrini was going to come on and Tuna was going to go off around 50th, 60th minute. And that was going to be their one big tactical change that they were going to employ. They've done that in their other postseason game. So we kind of saw that coming. But to me, the absolute stroke of brilliance from Bradley was the double switch, and I think it was about the 60th minute, in which Blessing comes out, Zimmerman goes in, Blackman moves out to the right wing, and so Zimmerman then takes over at center back. Um, and then right around the same time, Lee Wynn came off, and Dejan Jakovic comes in, and we started to play four at the back with Segura almost advancing slightly into like a center defensive mid roll, And we kind of had this four, one, two, three, you know, sort of the upside down Christmas tree going yeah. on. Um, and that to me was what, you know, freed up Dio to be able to make those incredible runs. Obviously Rossi makes the, you know, the breakaway and heads the ball, throws the ball over to Dio to head in. And then Dio just runs right through the entire galaxy defense to score his goal. But all of that sort of stems from the fact that we were able to get super, super compact and, and able to shut down the galaxies, uh, you know, throwing everything at us at that point. And, you know, that to me was a stroke of brilliance from Bob. And yeah, we it, was an interesting, it was a very interesting formation. And I think that, I think that Bob kind of was just reinforcing our back line, just like, Hey, let's have all of our heavy hitters there. And, uh, you know, I think, I definitely think too, you know, taking Lee Wynn out and putting in, um, Dejan Djokovic, putting in Djokovic was just, was, I mean, it was such a unique thing to see, but I was like, wow, this actually is like working out great. We see so many other teams go to a back five at that point, but having Segura who has that ability in his past, he played in a center defensive midfield role. So to see him, you know, sort of take that defensive midfielder, even though it was, you know, backline position, mm -hmm. um, a, that's the flexibility of this team and the talent that it has, but B that, that little bit of genius, that little bit of trickery from, from Bradley is why, um, you know, he's uh, a three-time winner of coach of the year and is tied for, you know, most, Times winning that award with the man it's named after. Speaking of which, since our last episode, Bob Bradley was awarded uh, Coach of the Year. 
Congrats so, to the congrats. gaffer. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Very well deserved. Very well deserved. Um, you know, obviously we saw some pretty amazing performances from the team all around. Vela, sensational. Rossi has the big goal. Um, you know, also missed a couple of goals that that probably should have gone in. I would say most places in the world, uh, you know, if someone in that position is going to be expected to hit those. He could have easily had a hat trick, but um, you know, like I think he also had an assist in the game as well too. So all in all, Rossi had a great game. Chance to put it away earlier and, and change the the complexion of the game, but um, ultimately a pretty good performance from Rossi. Rodriguez as well too had a great great performance. I think he gets overshadowed by Dio coming in for him and having the late brace, which you know was amazing. But you know Rodriguez had a couple of key passes. He had three or four times of the game in which you know he had cutbacks that were absolutely just knee-breaking against the Galaxy. I mean, you saw players falling over themselves when he was cutting back. And, you know, there's some serious potential there to see oh what my. he becomes. I mean, he He's is... 19! No, that guy has a lot of quick agilities, and his finesse is amazing. Now, I have to tell you, because, you know, while we're recording, we have the uh, the replay of the game going on on this, on this television screen. And uh, we're at the point right now where Carlos Vela scored the first goal of the game. He scored it with his right foot. Yep. So did anybody notice that? I the- put my right shoe up in the air. And I actually had somebody look at me and be like, hey, dude, you put up the wrong shoe. And I was like, oh, yeah? What foot did he score with? And they were like, no. And we actually had a little moment in the 32-52 um, where uh, someone tried to call me out for having my right shoe up instead of my left. But uh, I was on it. I was paying attention. There you go. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, look, most people in the 32-52 uh, uh, caught that or uh, if some people caught that, you know, maybe in the second run through after we were watching the highlights. But yeah, Vela scores a goal with each foot in this game. Although the left shoe did come off a little bit later as well, too. Oh, so, of course. But so uh, we're all right there. Um, you know, most all the team had a great night. I would say there were three notable exceptions to me. Um, Atuesta had a bit of a rough first 60 minutes or so in the game he definitely got into it later but I think he was having a hard time in his role in that midfield block Uh, there were more players and players in different positioning than I think he was used to and he was having um, a little bit of trouble getting the ball around as smoothly and as cleanly as he normally does some of those incisive direct passes we're used to seeing from him were not exactly there but by all means did not have a poor night but just did not have the kind of dominant night we're used to seeing from Atuesta. Blackman, I mean, I think you kind of have to say he's partially responsible for the first goal in that, you know. First goal against. The, for the first goal Carson scored. Right. Because, you know, he's the man who's got the body on Zlatan, and Zlatan, you know, is able to receive the pass through him and is able to get off the pass around him. But, I mean, one-on-one versus Laton, there are many, many, many people in the world who have been bested there. It's it's hard to hold that against Blackman. The second goal, you know, with him jumping up and it, it coming right off his shoulder and landing at the feet as Laton, that definitely was one that uh, you kind of have to look uh, at, at the collaboration between him and Beta and say something was a bit amiss there. Um, but he had some great stops early on as well, too, and he had, you know, some great defensive performances. So, I mean, aside from... You know, those two real errors, the rest of his game was was really good. Um, just sucks that those two errors happened to go right right into goals. But you know what, I think that for, you know, the next handful of seasons, you know, I think that this this is definitely a person that I'm looking forward to, to the development. 
yeah, how many teams can say that we're going to take a young defender, you know, relatively inexperienced in the game, put him in, in a huge game like this, trust him in this scenario. And ultimately in the end of the day, you know, we're able to weather his couple mistakes and the rest of the team performs well around him, give him some confidence that he has the ability to do this. There's not many teams that would put in their young reserve defender in that position and have him perform as well. And you know, what's, what's also great is that he's getting the opportunity for the experiences because we're going to need him. You know, Eddie Segura is probably going to get called up at some point in his tenure with us. Walker Zimmerman for sure is going to be getting called up with the U S men's national team. And so we need to have, you know, people like Tristan Blackman to, to be able to fill in those roles because it's, it's a next man up mentality and we need to be able to rely on everybody. And we also kind of called it out already, but the other players who had a, a bit of a a mishap throughout the game, I mean, Miller, you know, look, there were the goal versus Laton. I, I really feel like that's a very stoppable goal. Obviously, he doesn't see it coming, so maybe he doesn't have much of a chance to get prepared for that shot. I don't think he thinks Beta is going to pass it back to him. I certainly don't. You can't anticipate that ball coming off the shoulder of Blackman and landing at Zlatan's feet. But in that moment in which he had to make that quick decision, the decision ultimately was poor to let the ball go through the wickets there. Um, and then Djakovic on the third goal, we sort of mentioned that each goal had a bit of a gaff to it. It seemed like the entire rest of the defense was trying to play the offside trap in the high line. And Djakovic was the only one who then played everybody else onside. And, you know, from that set piece, they're then able to basically walk that goal in from the header. It was uh, far too easy um, for, I think it was Felcher to get that goal. Um, if he just, you know, maintains the same high line with everyone else and that communication is there, the Galaxy are offsides and that goal doesn't go in. So, you know, I want to, you know, be, especially because I wasn't there and who knows how many of our listeners didn't have the opportunity to go into the game. Let's let's talk about the in-game experience. Let's talk about, you know, the environment of during the game, um, the Galaxy fans that were there, how they carried themselves the uh, environment after the game, you know, the celebrations, you know, talk on that. Well, I have to say it was incredibly hot. It was incredibly hot. So the original forecast called for it to be 91 degrees. At we, game time. Uh, uh, during the tailgate and about 80 something or other around kickoff. Uh, when I got to the tailgate, um, we had somebody out there who was able to to take a temperature reading at the tailgate it was 104 degrees at Christmas Tree Lane oh at about 3.30 in the afternoon. So it was incredibly hot. And I think someone told me that it was 88 or 89 degrees at kickoff. So it was about 10 degrees warmer on the day than we anticipated it being. There was a little bit of that lingering smell from the fires as well, too. So it had that acridity to the air. There was... So, I mean... So in that respect, it was much, much, much hotter and everyone was having a little hard time breathing as we all in Southern California have since these fires have been going on. Um, so, I mean, that that certainly played a big role. The tailgate at Christmas Tree Lane was very subdued by comparison to what we are used to seeing. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was a midweek game. But even then, I think people were just so nervous that we weren't seeing people as free and open and relaxed as we're used to seeing at Christmas Tree Lane. Uh, once everybody got into the stadium, 
it was loud. When that TIFO went up and the flag started going off, um, it was an intense environment in there and everyone was having a good time. I saw a lot of Galaxy fans in and around the stadium. There was far less animosity between the LAFC and the Galaxy fans prior to the game than I'm used to seeing. You know, we know the the infamous styrofoam cooler event and people getting chanted at and escorted out of our section and things like that. It was, there was a lot less of that. I think it's just because there was less people. So there was, you know, less drinking going on during the day and maybe, uh, you know, a, a few less people, you know, with their bravado on them, so to speak. Um, so, so that atmosphere was a bit mild. So, uh, what, what about the n- percentage of, of galaxy fans inside the stadium? Obviously they had their supporter section, um, on the southeast corner on the 200 section. But, I mean, other than that, when you looked around the stadium, I mean, I would assume it would probably be 80% black and gold, but I'm just... Yeah, I think I think that's a good estimate. I mean, there were probably one to 2,000 Galaxy fans spread out throughout the stadium and about 20,000, uh, I would say, you know, LAFC fans throughout the stadium. Obviously, with secondary ticket prices being extreme... Um, you know, people were able to snatch a lot of those tickets and the normal people who would attend these games didn't. Um, so there were a lot of galaxy fans spread in and throughout the stadium. There was even a couple of them that snuck into the North end that ended up getting escorted out, um, trying to start some drama as galaxy fans always intend to do. And it was pretty easy to spot them because they weren't cheering. They were taking a lot of photos of things and, uh, you know, ultimately underneath their jackets, which who's wearing a jacket, when it's 90 degrees out, right? Right. So that was our first giveaway. And lo and behold, underneath their jackets were Carson uniforms. And they tried to, you know, fight their way out of the North End, which is, you know, I guess to be expected from Carson fans. But, you know. I mean, how did uh, did they have a ticket in there? Well, because they bought their 3252 tickets on secondary market. Yeah. So they were able to, you know, buy a ticket from someone who sold it on a ticket sharing site as opposed to selling it fan to fan or within their SG. So I really hope we figure out exactly how that happened. Uh, and I hope those people, uh, there are consequences. I think, I think some people are going to be surprised about the consequences that are going to happen for selling North end tickets to people outside of LAFC. And frankly, the people who charged exorbitant prices for their North end tickets, uh, you know, season ticket holders that took a $24 ticket, and we're selling it for three, four hundred dollars online. I think there should be consequences for those people. And I know that, you know, some of the leadership within the thirty-two fifty-two are are looking at what they can do to hold people accountable for that kind of exorbitant right. gouging, which ultimately led to some issues, led to some Galaxy fans that you know attempted to get their way in there, and you know ultimately it accomplished nothing but made those fans look like jerks, right? right. You know, and it's I had a bunch of my because i've i've got my seats right mm-hmm. in in the figaro club and i had a bunch of people asking me like oh man you're making you're probably making a lot of money and i was like no man i'm i'm not making a single dime off of any of these tickets dude i'm selling them all for face value prices and you know i would have uh you know it's like i i start off with eight and you know we gave three away to john who won the uh the bundle uh <laughs> And, uh, you know, I would sell some to other people and I would list them and I'd be like, Hey, you know, 200 bucks, man, face value. And people would be like jumping all over them, dude, because to get, to get the tickets that I have for 200 bucks, they were just like, man, that's, and it, it, you know, people are like, how come you're not selling them for more? And it's like, you know what, 
That's not the kind of culture we're trying to build. That's not what this is about. Yeah, I sold three $24 North End tickets, and I sold them for $73, $24 each. Two of them went to people in D9U, and the extra ADA ticket that Mandy couldn't use went to LAFC1. Right. And that's, that's, I'm perfectly fine with how that worked out. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's what should happen. And I encourage all the other season ticket holders that might be listeners of this show. Um, you know, look, again, it's hard to tell people not to make money, but if you have a $24 ticket and you're selling it for 300 bucks. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. That's not supply and demand. That's, that's just, <laughs> that, there's, that's, I, something I, wrong. Be, I mean, but like I said, it's like I would, I would rather, sell it to somebody that i know is going to a enjoy the seats is a la uh, fc fan and would you know i mean jeez i mean i can't tell you how many times i've given free tickets away to somebody on their first game because i'm like hey man the first one's free because hopefully once i get you in on that first one you're hooked and then you're gonna want to like come to more games and for you at at you know two hundred dollars a ticket that's quite a statement for us in the north end it you know 25 bucks a ticket you know i mean that's it's a little different to float somebody at 25 or as opposed to you know throwing two benjis their way but hats off to you and your generosity Uh, before we finish talking about the game with regards to your generosity i have to uh uh, extend you know uh, my amazement as well too for the donation you and your wife made to the lafc foundation um that was an impressive gesture as well, too. You actually, uh, you know, made it onto with the shoulder-to-shoulder logo on the scoreboard during the game, uh, as one of the sponsors for the event was our show. And they showed it again at the, at yes, the they playoff did. game. Yes, they oh, did. Very cool. Um, and that was uh, an incredibly, incredibly generous donation to a very worthy cause from you and your wife. So hats no, off is, to man. you. Sir. And that, you know, I think we did we talk about the gala last week. We talked about uh, the donation, but I don't believe we talked about your experience at the gala. We'll have to get Alina on from the uh, LAFC Foundation, and uh, you know we can talk about the gala event on another on another episode. That might be that might be a good uh, off season -season episode. Yeah, (laughs) but um, no, the LAFC uh, inaugural black and gold gala was amazing, and. You know, to hear the stories, which we've gotten the opportunity to meet these people in person from the youth leadership programs, and because uh, now the Breezy program, the youth leadership program, and the LAFC Foundation work together on a lot of uh, projects. So you'll see a lot of the youth leaders helping out the foundation in their uh, their goals and activities and stuff like that. So it's uh, Rachel was there from. Breezy and you know she was telling her story and it was I mean it was just a great event man it's you can see the club trying to help out the youth in Los Angeles and that's they're trying to make an impact and what more could you ask for and I was talking to Rich about this obligatory Rich shout out um <laughs> you know when he was giving us notes on our episode with YLP and what's going on down there at the Brazil Foundation and like he was just blown away by some of the stories that these kids brought forth and you know what kind of character and ability and passion they have is is really really some pretty impressive stuff um so maybe we'll just we'll just wrap up our thoughts about post game and we'll quickly sort of preview the seattle game real quick before we uh before we call this show quits but you know obviously as the game came to a close vindication exhilaration exuberance you know so much of what we have worked for over all the years that have led up to that game all of the 
you know, difficult games versus the galaxy we all had to endure, you know, those of us that made the trek down to Carson and had to go through those losses on the road, uh, all of those tight games at the bank in which we really feel like we outplayed them, but ultimately the scoreline didn't represent that, you know, and even overcoming the errors in this game and the goals that we gave up that we shouldn't have given up. The fact that we were able to finally, finally, finally cleanse that demon from us and the just exhilaration everyone had afterwards. You know, we stayed in the stands through fist pumps from Walker, fist pumps from Will Farrell, Shala Laws, and a man of the match by Dio. I went to free play after the game and hung out there for a while. Um, and saw so many people at free play and had some Julius Peppers and a couple beers and had a good time. And you see that the uh, menu now shows that the Julius Peppers are the official drink of the Defenders of the Bank. Shout out, guys, at the Defenders. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, mean, I'm sure they probably drank enough Julius Peppers now to where. <laughs> uh, so I literally was witness to and benefactor of. Um, so Scarf walks up to the bar after the game. The head bartender walks over to him and says, how many? And Scarf says 10. And he walks away and came back with 10 Julius Pepper shots. There wasn't even like a an order or he didn't even have to wait in line. Those guys are such rock stars there. Literally, the head guy just comes over and says, how many? And he just holds up 10 and boom, 10 Julius Peppers came out. It was, I mean, those That's guys, crazy. Uh, you know, they have they have put in the work there and, oh, and definitely, course. you know, uh, two, two extremely nice guys. Uh, Christian was uh, and Scarf were kind enough to give me a ride home after the game. Um, and I actually, and then uh, they went and recorded. I actually sat with them, and we, um, I watched them record until about one thirty in the morning. Didn't get home till about two o'clock from oh, the game. Oh, so you were there? At the, you were there in Burbank. I, uh, they actually were uh, Culver City, so they recorded at uh, Scarf's house, mm. uh, not at Phillip Monster Studios this time, and uh, got to watch uh, them record and. Had to. Uh, it's only fair because during the center mid chicks episode of our show, we made Scarf and Philly sit there quiet while we recorded, <laughs> and it was my turn to sit there and quietly have to watch the two of them record, despite this desire to want to chime in. Now that um, you know, I'm a little more used to the podcast and world, I kept wanting to throw my two cents in, and I had to be like, "Oh, it's okay. I gotta wait till till Chris and I get to sit down and do it." So I got a little bit of a chance to to see the magic happen with those boys and uh, two of the nicest guys in the bank. And, and shout out to them. Thank you, boys, for that. But it was just it was just a great feeling after the game. And I have to be honest, tons of Galaxy fans hung out after the game as well too. And it was nothing like the animosity that we had seen between the two franchises over the course of the last well, two years. I feel like the animosity comes primarily from supporters. Yeah. You know, I don't think the casual fans necessarily have that same type of animosity. Some do, I'm sure. But I'm just, I feel like, you know, if I see someone who's a Galaxy fan, I'm not necessarily going to be like talking trash to him right away. Like... If I see someone and I think they're a Galaxy fan, I don't, you know, I'm not instantly going to think, you know, this is a person I should antagonize. Now, if I see somebody in Quiet Squad or ABC gear, now... That's a different story. That's a different story altogether. Right, right. And but see, um, but like I said, the, but those are supporters, right? Exactly. Um, so I think, you know, I think that it's it's definitely cool because I, I do think too that I bet you every single LAFC fan has a Galaxy friend. You know of course, of course. So it's like yeah. you, you can't. You can't. I mean, how are you not going to? What are you just not going to hang out with your friend? You know what I'm saying? So it's like I'm. Yeah. 
And uh, there's Martians everywhere for sure. <laughs> but uh, no, you know what? Um, there was all sorts of photos that came out. Like there was there was a picture of Latif. Like, oh, at the taco stand after the game. Oh, I love it. I, I love how many of the players show up and have tacos with us after the game. And that is a normal haunt for a lot of the ultras. And uh, I ended up not going because I was with I was with Christian and Jr. But um, it was. Uh, it's so cool that the players show up and just like sit down and have a burrito with people after the game. And then, you know, Galaxy fans showed up and they were taking pictures with Latif and oh, that was hilarious. But, you know, while we're on the point of things happening after the game, not everything that happened after the game was totally rosy. There were a couple of moments after the game that that did get a little chippy. Speaking of Bob Bradley. Oh, that was so good. It's so the, good. The, the post-game interview on the pitch... Bob Bradley did not did not appreciate the things that Zoe Salazar was well, saying to him with the, regards to Vela. You know what? I mean, the interview when the interview started, um, he was asking just a lot of general questions about the club and about beating the Galaxy and the players' performance. But you know, it seemed like the interview was definitely getting ready to wind down because he had had Bob for a, a number of questions, and then he he like leaves it with a bomb dude like he just asked the wrong question about carlos vela being able to perform in big games and bob's like who asked those questions are they asking that this year and you know he was like oh well in his career they've asked and he goes oh that's that's i don't understand that that's not even a good question get lost well and and so i mean i think there's some backstory to hear bob knows what he means by some people say that some people is himself right i mean seve salazar has been an absolute you know, he has gone after Vela many times because he covers El Tree. He has a podcast about El Tree. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of people who are El Tree fans who feel that Vela has not in, put in the kind of performances for the national team that he has for his club teams. And, you know, there's some animosity there between him and certainly a narrative that he has created and a narrative that he is trying to perpetuate that Vela still owes something to Eltree or or has in the past not lived up to the expectation you know, in that regard. But here's he, anytime I've ever heard anybody say that in person and we have an opportunity to, to voice opinions about it, you know, a lot of times there's a narrative that comes out about Carlos saying that he's not a big passionate soccer fan. And there was, there was this, the, the video snippet before the game that they showed where, um, Julio El Chivermayor was talking and they were uh, other people, his teammates talking. And it's, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me if there's a player who doesn't want to represent their country, but they'd rather represent the club, you know? And it's like, at some point too, you have to remember everybody's human. You know, like he's looking for his own internal happiness. And if, you know, if he doesn't, not everybody's him, right? He doesn't have to make the decisions that's popular to everybody. As long as it makes him happy and he does what he wants to do, I'm fine with it, dude. Like, I, I mean, how how do you, how are you going to knock somebody for doing what they feel is what's right for them? You know? Well, in the conversation that Vela doesn't perform in big games, who is the only player to have scored in every single LA Derby? Vela. Carlos Vela. Has he scored against Barcelona? Yes. Real Madrid? Yes. Has he scored in big games? Has he taken big penalties for El Tri? Yes. I mean, because El Tri doesn't have a cup, is that Carlos Vela's fault? No. Like, I feel like there's a lot put on him unnecessarily so from national team fans. Um, 
and I just don't think that that narrative is accurate. And I think it was definitely motivated by, you know, Savi's own opinions about Vela that he was trying to get out there. He took a shot at him. And I think Bob recognized that it was a shot and told him to get lost. Yeah, And I can't was... wait for the Bob Bradley get lost shirt to come out because I'm definitely going to oh, be buying me yes, one of those. Somebody man. out there in the LAFC world, please make that shirt. You will get some of Gringo's money. Uh, we should make that shirt. Dude, that's a great <laughs> idea. Erase uh, the last 30 seconds of this pod. Let's not let that get out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> nah, I'll leave it. Um, but uh, no, it was... It was definitely, definitely. We also, I mean, also after the game, of course, shout out to our brother, LAFC soccer head, who got right in the head of Zlatan. So, okay, have you seen the video oh. of the person who's standing over the shoulder of soccer head? I have not. I've only, you know, I've seen the, I've seen the video uh, taken looking down from the tunnel. No. And then I've seen the video from behind soccer okay, head Okay, so as if well, you look too. at the one from behind soccer head, it looks less, you know, um insulting i guess yeah. because you know you'll see zlatan he sees who lafc or uh he sees soccer head and you know i don't know i don't know i don't know if he realizes who he is in pop cultures la sports yeah, who knows how involved right. zlatan is in but, that? i don't but know but yeah. the fact is is like he did his gesture and then he like literally looks at him and he smiles like he's laughing you know and so it's like it makes you think is he kind of just being like i don't know I think that and some of his post-game comments really lead me to believe that this was his last MLS performance. I really still think, I think he's going back to Europe. You know, the comments that nobody knew who the Galaxy was before him and nobody's going to know who the Galaxy are after him, that he put the Galaxy on the map, he put Vela on the map, and, you know, as soon as he leaves, the whole MLS is going to be forgotten. I mean, all of that to me is no, the kind you of things you I say think, when you're on the way out. I think that... I do think that, you know, Zlatan brought a lot of more, a lot more viewers to the MLS over the last two seasons than there had been before. I think that there was also more viewers because of other things. So I believe he's a contributing factor to why there's more people potentially watching MLS that are outside of the United States or in the United States for that matter too. But I mean, to say that nobody's going to know who they are after or that nobody knew who it was before he got here, I think is a little bit of an embellishment. So moving on Tuesday night, oh yeah, Tuesday, Seattle. Bank of California, the Seattle Sounders come to town. Now I know a lot of people are going to look at the history between LAFC and Seattle and you're going to see some black and gold dominance there. But I do think that we, you know, forget that, you know, look, the Sounders have never missed the playoffs in the entire history of their franchise. They are a club that, you know, has taken some calculated rest throughout the season, um, and they always seem to pour it on when it comes postseason. Uh, you know, they have recently won the cup as as soon as just a few years ago. In fact, all three remaining teams in the playoffs, not named LAFC, are the 2016, 17, and 18 MLS Cup winners. The last three teams remaining are the last three teams to have won a cup. So these are not a team that we should look past or not view as being formidable in this regard. So, uh, And we, I don't believe, have played the entire starting lineup that Seattle is about to put out. And we certainly have not had a chance yet to face that formidable front four that they have of Ladero, Morris, Rudy Diaz, and Jones together. I'm very curious to see 
how this game plays out. And I think it is going to be a much closer game than a lot of other people are predicting. And I really feel like Seattle is going to give LAFC a run for their money. Obviously, LAFC is the more talented team. We have the home field advantage and we should win this game. But I don't think it's going to be quite as dramatic a difference in talent as many people view it as being. You know, I think, uh, I think, you know, what you said is pretty spot on. Um, I do think, you know, the biggest catalyst in this game is going to be Jordan Morris. I think he uh, is peaking at the right time. And Absolutely. I think that he is definitely on an, a bit of a hot streak. Um, so I think if we are able to shut him down, uh, you also then have to be concerned with some of their other players that can put the ball in the back of the net. You know, so it's not it's not just Jordan that you have to be concerned with, um, but I do think that he is going to be one of the ones that requires a lot of attention. Well, and Seattle's one of those teams that will surrender the lion's share of possession, um, and they will go on the counterattack. Um, we haven't always been best at those teams, so I wonder if Bradley is going to employ a similar tactic to like what we saw in this game against Carson where we do more of a midfield block and attempt to stifle counterattacks, don't necessarily demand the type of possession we have demanded throughout the course of the regular season and employ that slight different tweak in tactics going forward in the game versus Seattle. Um, we'll see. I, I do think it's going to be a great game. And everybody, be there. Be there early. Um, let's make that place loud. Let's shake the bank. And it's going to be pretty fun on Tuesday. Oh, it's it's going to be great. It's still actually going to be a bit of a hot game, though. In, I mean, not as compared to the game this previous week against the Galaxy, but it's still going to be warm for an October night. Well, I mean, weather certainly cooled off today. Um, uh, it is uh, Sunday night as we are recording this podcast. Hopefully, we're able to get this out Monday so you guys get a good chance to listen to it before Tuesday's game. Um, I'm hoping it cools off. I, these hot games are killing me, man. It's, uh, you know, 90 degrees at kickoff or 88 degrees at kickoff was, uh, you know, that's a bit much. Um, definitely, I think it's better for the atmosphere if it's a little cooler, but... You know, Seattle's uh, had a little bit of travel in them, but they have the extra day of rest by comparison to us. Um, you know, hopefully the fires and all that stuff, uh, you know, our hearts go out to anyone affected by that. But, you know, hopefully air quality is a little bit more improved. I mean, even Zlatan, the man who uh, prides himself on not making excuses, was claiming that the air was getting to him after the game. So um, curious to see what air quality is like, uh, what temperatures like. I think those are going to play some big roles both in player performance and the atmosphere at the bank. But I'm I'm excited. I'm still not sure if I'm going to be able to make this game, so No, you can't miss two in a row, brother. <laughs> you know what, man? I uh it these midweek games, dude, they're hard, you know, and it's just with my with my kids and you know, my my wife's got cut clients in town and stuff like that. It's just it's it's not easy to make it. So if anybody's looking for tickets, uh face value Figaro clubs. <laughs> Hit me up. But, uh, you know, uh, I, um, Chris Obailador was one of the people that, uh, got seats for me, uh, the game against the galaxy. And he said that he was like a celebrity in the Figueroa club. Well, Chris is a celebrity everywhere, man. I mean, Obailador is a legend in this club. Um, you know, and he's, he's gone about it the right way, right? He wasn't one of those people that went after it so much as he was just having fun. And he has that natural charisma that, that came through and, uh. 
yeah, I'm still bummed I missed that episode, but I mean, it was pretty awesome being in Europe, but I'm still bummed I missed that episode because um, he's such he's such an amazing person. I really uh, would have been cool to have sat there on the couch next to him while he told that story. Well, well I'm sure we'll get him in again, you know, especially uh, maybe another off-season uh, interview update on how things are going with him. But uh, that's we're going to wrap it up for that, for this episode of uh, Shoulder to Shoulder with our quick on-the-counter recap of... Uh, the game against the Galaxy in our upcoming match for the Western Conference Finals against Seattle. That game is going to be Tuesday, and I believe the match is at 7. 7? Isn't it another one of those 7.48 start times? Yeah, some crazy. It's one of those bizarrely like odd start times. Oh, well, my app, which which also gave the wrong time <laughs> from last week when we had this conversation, says 7. So, Well, I plan on being there for the 90 before 90 at least. I want to get in, get in early, get loud. Do know. we have a, are we doing a traditional TIFO? Do you know if we are, we do we have anything special? You know, with regards to the TIFO, I mean, I suppose there is, there is a brief conversation to happen there in that I don't think people realize how much effort it takes to create those. Creating a TIFO, um, you know, like Carlos Vela in the Indiana Jones outfit, um, those things take months to prepare. TIFOs like that are planned out at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, in many cases, the construction fees, the cost, the time. I mean, it takes hundreds and hundreds of hours to put a TIFO together. There is probably not the time to execute something on the scale that we saw in this last match in a, in a less than one week turnaround. So, I mean, yes, I would love to have a TIFO at every game, but you know, look, fans, you're just going to have to realize that that is not logistically or fiscally possible. Um, we pay for these TIFOs with our 3252 memberships. We pay for these TIFOs with funds created by the 3252. You know, it's not like the ownership of the club is cutting us a blank check to do this stuff. So even the fundraising portion of it takes some time as well too. Um, this is a real undertaking to put on a TIFO like that. And it means so much to the people involved. Um, you know, I mean, I was there night before the game, late at the bank, you know, helping get that TIFO set up, helping doing some some final paint on some of the other little side TIFOs and stuff like that. And, you know, as we could segue there for a minute, it was, some really regrettable stuff happened with fans outside the stadium taking pictures of what was going on inside the stadium and we believe it was, you know, Carson fans ultimately that took some pictures of the TIFO during setup and they sort of posted it online. And then what really, 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 really made me sad were LAFC fans sharing the TIFO leaks. It is, it is a very firm rule in supporter culture that you respect the sanctity of the TIFO and you keep it a secret until it comes up. And to see our own fans spreading those images around was something that really, really, really got to me. Um, and I hope those people did so not knowing that that was something that is simply unacceptable. But I could tell you within the culture of the 3252, if I found out that someone in the 3252 was leaking TIFO information, uh, I would absolutely expect that person to receive uh, match bans. I would expect that person to not be allowed to be involved in a TIFO going forward. Um, these things are a, a very sacred art, uh, and hopefully we learn from that mistake and we are able to you know, get a little smarter as a group going forward as to 
how we protect those things and, and who is privileged and how we go about dealing with the repercussions of people who shared that image. And I mean, it's, you know, I didn't know that. So it just goes to show you, you know, that there are probably are a, a good amount of people that, you know, they might be people that are on LAFC groups or whatever, and they see that picture being shared and they're like, oh, this is so cool. And then they share it themselves. Yep. Uh, it's, it's sad. Um, that is, that is a very, very sacred thing within supporter culture. And I, I hope we learn from it. Um, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it was still a beautiful TIFO. Um, it was great to hear, you know, John Williams and all of that and everything that went into it and, you know, so much hard work. I, I literally still have scabs on my knees from painting those TIFOs. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's so much work that we put into it and I just hope that people appreciate it, A, but also respect it. So now let me ask you this. I know we said we were going to end this, but we didn't, so... <laughs> ah, you guys can deal with an extra five minutes. So, some of our TIFOs we have reused for other games. Mm -hmm. TIFOs like this, or like the... Uh, have we have we put a TIFO back up? I don't believe we've ever reused one. I felt like the Grim Reaper one we've used for more than one game. No, I think that was just one time. I don't believe we've ever put a TIFO back up a second time. Oh, well then... My question is, I was going to say, well, so like, some of the you... smaller banners, um, you know, those do make reappearances like the, the new banner that we were painting and we just finished the night before the game. Um, you know, the, the, you know, Bob start the engine one that you saw mm -hmm. up there, um, on the terrace, you know, that one we literally finished at like midnight the night before game day. Um, some of those little banners that you see and, you know, flags and stuff like that, that, you know, all that requires hand done work. You know, we're not ordering any of this stuff prefab. We make all that stuff from scratch. When, whenever you see a flag in the North End, I mean, somebody cut that fabric and painted that and designed it and did all that. And so some of those things you do see getting reused or, you know, for the appropriate game, we might bring some of those banners back out that are made. But TFOs are typically one and done, which is crazy to think of you know, the thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours that go into those things just to be used one time, you know, even just finding secret locations in which to execute that stuff is a challenge to do in it of itself. And, you know, obviously things that you have to keep moving around because, you know, there's, there's so much espionage on behalf of other teams that try and get into it. It's really a, a crazy world. Um, and I just people, you know, I hope people would respect that sanctity and appreciate the level of work and dedication and effort that goes into it. So, I mean, but where do they go after they're used? Where do they, like, does somebody hold them onto them? Do they, I mean, you know, like, do they get this? I would assume they probably don't get destroyed, but it's just... You know, I mean, these things are massive. Some people might say it belongs in a museum, but I would say that we have top men on it. Top men. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. All the Indiana Jones quotes need to come out at this point. Uh, I guess so. It's, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's just one of those things. I, I don't believe the location of TIFOs is something I have the liberty. No, I'm not. I'm not yeah. necessarily saying that you have to give up the location, but somebody's somebody's holding on to them. I will say that you know, formidable Fernando from the Expos did an amazing job at the design of this TIFO, and Gil and Ray did an amazing job at helping coordinate the execution and getting it done. And hats off to all those people and their work. But um, uh, I don't know where all the TIFOs are stored or where we keep them or if they'll ever come back out someday. Um, I think it would be sad if they never again saw the light of day. I think some event sometime in the future, it might be cool if they came back out. But uh, um, I would imagine they're probably in a vault somewhere 
you know, uh, under lock and key, laser guarded, so that area um, fifty one type exactly. Stuff. They're in area fifty one. That's it. <laughs> uh, there's they're they're covering the alien spaceship down there. So that's a uh, well good. So anyways, so yeah, so everybody, we'll see you guys uh, this upcoming Tuesday, and um, thanks again for listening. If you need to give us a follow at LAFCS to us. So take it away, sticks. To shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC door some. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bitch.